Hello everyone, here is Danielle and today I'm here with uh, Jim Moore, another episode of our e-com show. He's from uh, Thailand, Koh Samui, and uh, he's been living there for a while. And Jim has a really interesting story because he started with the business world many years ago, I think we can say decades ago. And yeah, almost he's 20 years. Started, yeah, yeah. And with e-commerce a few years ago. And actually now he started his new venture, a software company. And uh, we will talk about all of this today. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. Hey, Jim, how are you? How is I'm life? Good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So where to start? So please tell us more about your journey. Like uh, what was your first business efforts? Man. So if we wanted to go way back, I started being a little salesman back when I was a child. My dad would come back from the Navy and he'd bring stickers and candies back from the different places he'd been. And I'd sell on the school ground, actually get in trouble during recess in, uh, ele in elementary school. Um, that's kind of where I got my, uh, my start, I suppose, in sales. But the first business that I started uh, it was back in 2005. It was a company called Applied Learning Media. And we uh, we ran offers that were teeth whitening products, hair rejuvenation products, uh, weight loss products. And uh, and ultimately, big product was an info product called the Grant University, where uh, at our peak, we were selling about 5,000 uh, products a day or 5,000 unique acquisitions a day into a free plus shipping. They get an informational CD, pay shipping and handling for that. And then 15 days later, be charged after their free trial of our resource center. We did that exclusively using affiliates. There wasn't Facebook ads. Google ads wasn't something that uh, I was familiar with at the time. It was something that uh, I believe was rather new. So we used all affiliates to drive traffic for us. Again, this was like back way before there was Shopify or before there yeah. was WordPress or anything like that. It was, we had to have developers that managed our website, managed our servers, managed our rebuilds, managed our CRM. It was all custom built. Back in the time when there wasn't cloud computing, man, this was, uh, our servers were in our office. Just one quick question. Have you used email marketing back then? Um, no, we did not. I, I, okay. Our email was more for customer support, uh, but uh, email marketing was uh, not something that we utilized. We used 100% affiliates at the time. Great. And then, uh, so this was in back, back in 2005, right? Around that yeah, time. Yeah, 2005 to 2008 is when we ran those products. And then how did you end up in e-commerce, physical e-commerce? Yeah, well, I moved to the Philippines in 2009 and we started a call center. So at the time, at our peak of our subscriptions in, in Grant University, we were outsourcing about 156 customers support agents to Cebu, Philippines. And we had uh, 24 sales agents managing our partials. That's what we called it, incomplete purchases. And we had 24 sales agents in Manila handling that. And so we went to the Philippines and uh, I was like, wait a second, we were spending about $300,000, $350,000 a month in customer support and sales. And we thought, geez, we could be saving a lot more if we just did this ourselves. So uh, I moved to the Philippines, uh, started uh, a call center. Uh, we had about 300 employees and uh, 180 seats operational 24 hours a day. And then uh, after I left the Philippines, um, I came back to uh, Las Vegas and my wife, an affiliate agency called Ad Crimson. And so we, they did uh, affiliate sales for mobile apps. So to get uh, mobile installs. After that, we, we started thinking we should probably do e-commerce. Well, actually it was her that came up with the idea um, originally. And so she said, we should do e-commerce. Let's try doing e-commerce. At the time it was drop shipping. And I thought I'd never heard of it before, but uh, let's give it a shot. And uh, so we, we got into e-commerce through Shopify and Facebook ads back in 2016, early 2017. And uh, she's has become my obsession since. 
Yeah, and uh, since then, I guess you've been using Shopify and mostly mm -hmm. Facebook ads. So it's a totally different game than back in 2005. Very different way of getting customers. Do you work with affiliates? Still, we do. Or? Yeah, so we actually, uh, our traffic comes not just from Facebook. Originally, when we got started, it was only Facebook. It was Shopify and Facebook only. But uh, right now we have Facebook, we have Instagram, Google, TikTok. Uh, we have email, we have SMS, we have affiliates, and we have our phone center um, that manage all mm -hmm. of our sales. Yeah, and I think it's worth to mention your uh, approach to call centers and customer support last time we discussed that. So what do you think? How how do you approach this and how e-commerce companies should approach this thing? Oh, absolutely. So we, we look at customer support not as an expense, but as a profit center. We look at customer support not so much as support as it is creating a positive customer experience. We put a lot of effort and attention not just on customer support side, but even in the products we sell uh, to the packaging that it create custom packaging for them. Even the shipping boxes are custom boxes. Even the extra that we put into the box from polished cloths and because we sell jewelry, right? So our brand is Celtic, not jewelry. And so we, like, there's a lot of extras that go into it so that when they open it, it's like, wow, this is, you put a lot of attention to detail into this, even even so far as to include a gift bag, right? Because they, they buy jewelry for gifts. So there's a small gift bag that's included. And so just all these little fine details. So we look at, at how do we create a positive customer experience? And so to create a positive customer experience, we realize it relates more than just the product we sell and audience that we sell to and the offer that we promote and the creative that we use, all of those critical. But the other thing that's uh, that's even as critical, if not more critical, is the way that we manage our customer experience from once they comment on our post, we have somebody right there immediately commenting back. And so we want to establish a positive relationship with them, but we know little about them. Approach is when they comment, we just reply back to them what they said to us, but using our own words. It feels like when the person re reads that reply, oh, they understand what I'm saying or they get me, they, uh, they heard me. So that's our first step. Then we send them a direct message afterwards. So we just want to thank them. Say, hey, we want to thank you for your comment. We really appreciate it. Just wanted to give you a heads up. We, we replied to your comment. In there, we'll also include some information on how to contact us. You know, we'll be here until 9 p.m. tonight. Give us a call if you like this product or even to, uh, you know, here's our email or here's our website. So we'll include other assets in those replies so that they can get back in touch with us on other channels. But uh, after that, we manage every email, every inbound message, obviously, personally, Take every email creates a ticket and those are all replied to. Where the revenue is created, all of this is kind of like the pre-game show, if you will, before the sale happens. So we, we we treat every comment like a potential lead. We treat every engagement as a potential lead. And so this is how we cultivate the relationship with our audience first. Because once they go to our site and they abandon their checkout, after 15 minutes after leaving the site, we're on the phone with them. We want to build a relationship with them, understand, you know, what do they like about our product or what do they like about our brand? What do they love about the specific jewelry that they were interested in? Who are they buying it for? Is it a gift for themselves or for a loved one? Um, and then we'll ask them point blank, you know, what changed your mind about purchasing today? Um, you know, what happened? And then they'll, they're really quick to tell us uh, that, you know, it was too expensive or they don't have the money yet, you know, wait until payday or, uh, you know, the shipping was too much, the shipping was too slow. So whatever the reply is, we've got a rebuttal back for it, right? So if, if it was too expensive and then, hey, I've just been authorized to give you a 15% discount. Did you want to put that on a Visa or MasterCard today? Or if, uh, if they're waiting to get paid or by, you know, let's say they're waiting to, to have funds available, then we'll put it on a four easy payment plan. Or if the shipping was too slow, then we'll give them expedited shipping. Or if the shipping was too much, then we'll give them free shipping. So whatever the, the reason is for not buying, we just give them a, we overcome that with providing a solution for them. And then so that for us generates sales. Additionally, what we'll do is we'll uh, every purchase. So whenever somebody's purchased within three minutes, so it could be as quick as 30 seconds, it could take up to three minutes. But as soon as you purchase, we're on the phone again. So we want to call you and we want to thank you for your order. We want to verify that the order is being shipped to the right address. We want to confirm the contents of that order. That call's recorded. So it serves, uh, the main purpose is to serve as chargeback mitigation, right? So just in case they ever yeah. come back and say, hey, I, it wasn't me or I didn't do this or I, it wasn't authorized. 
authorized, then uh, we win our chargebacks because we provide audio confirmation that this was in fact a confirmed order. But then on top of that, once we confirm the order, then we'll look at, uh, you know, again, we build a relationship and if they're buying the gift for themselves, then we want to sell them a similar product that's uh, related to the necklace they just bought or the earrings they just bought, you know, selling the matching set. If they're buying it as a gift for someone else, then I want to sell that same product to them to buy it for themselves. And so that in addition with, we'll call out our, anyone that leaves a positive review. So that same day, um, that they leave a positive review, we'll reach back out to them, thank them for that, um, and then upsell them by giving them a discount that them or their friends could use, and then let them know that they actually earn a 10% of whatever their friends purchase from us. And so it gives them a, a way or gives us a way to build our reach because they'll share that post on their, their feed or on their Instagram so that it's just more exposure. So all in all, with uh, with all of this, this actually represents 40% of our revenue for Celtic Knot. Um, so 20% comes from email, 20% comes from SMS, 40% comes from our call center, and it's a massive revenue channel. Uh, but you've just got to do what others don't. You've got to be willing to communicate with your buyer, let them know, like even, even in moments when things are difficult, like if we get a bad review or if we get somebody mm-hmm. complaining, even if not as important to reach back out to those ones, uh, solve their problem. Even if that means you're giving them something for free, or even if that means that you're resolving the problem, it builds for a better customer experience. Uh, so that way they'll come back and they'll remember the positive customer experience and come back and buy from us again. So this is uh, uh, how we manage customer support. Yeah, amazing. So you mentioned that 20% email, 20% SMS, 40% the call center. So it, it sounds like you have, you know, not a huge percentage of direct conversions or, you know, people who just come to the website and they immediately convert. You rather do these phone calls, email, SMS, and then you convert them later, but not immediately. The ones that come from the call center, they came from another channel, right? So it came from a Facebook ad or it came from a Google ad or it came from an affiliate. And so they just didn't purchase or didn't complete their purchase while that session was active or while they were on our site. Uh, And so rather than letting email be the only recourse to pick them up later, because maybe they'll open the email, maybe they won't, or maybe they'll see the SMS or maybe they won't. So we employ those as well. But uh, the primary factor is that we call them. So we get on the phone 15 minutes after an abandoned checkout, within three minutes after a purchase, and then same day for a a positive review. Yeah. And uh, do you think this uh, can also increase the average order value, the cart size? Because you talk to them, it's a potential to upsell and understand them. That's exactly what happens during our order confirmations as we upsell them to increase the average order value. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, iOS now and uh, the changes with uh, Facebook. And you mentioned that just today you will make it available, your uh, software. So please tell us more about that. So originally when we started building OptimizeX, it wasn't supposed to be an attribution platform. Um, We were intending it just to be a reporting and analytics platform that pulled data in from Google, pulled data in from Facebook, analyzed the data to more like visualize our customer journey to understand where the bottlenecks are so that we know exactly where to go, what steps to fix if something were to break. Uh, or depending on the traffic source, where the customers fall off at so that we could improve those for that specific channel. And so that was the the initial plan for OptimizeX. So we, we began building it out, we began designing it. But then last April, when iOS introduced their privacy updates with iOS 14.5, the data was no longer accurate. So we weren't, we, we weren't doing any tracking other than what Facebook and Google showed, right? We were just re-visualizing it using our own methods of reporting. And uh, it just, it turned, well, I, I guess the easiest way to say it, threw us into a tailspin, right? So we were like, how do we resolve this? But even more than that, it even took our Celtic our jewelry brand took us for a tailspin there as well, because by April, we didn't really notice that there were too many inconsistencies yet, right? Because it, it had just been released on April 21st. The adoption rate wasn't instant. It, uh, it yeah. took some time. But by Mother's Day, which is our second largest trend of the year, we just, we, our performance was horrible. We couldn't dial in our, our cold traffic profitably. 
We couldn't dial in our retargeting predictably. We couldn't dial in any of our lookalike audiences. And so it just really made things difficult. So that's when we decided, okay, we've got to, we've got to make a decision here. How do we resolve this? And so we came up with two plans. So the first plan was the call center, right? So let's go all in on customer experience. Because if I can't generate predictable results through Facebook, I've got to be able to recoup that elsewhere. And so that's where the call center came in. So we opened that on, in July. Um, well, we came up with the idea in July, but we opened the, the doors open in August. And then, uh, but at the same time, I came down and I thought, okay, how do I resolve tracking? And so first I had to understand what the problem was, right? So the problem with iOS 14.5 isn't that if somebody opts out of Facebook, you can never track them again, right? That's inaccurate. What it means if Apple, they're at the core of what they've done is they want to limit you as the merchant from sharing consumer data to third parties without the user's consent. If they've opted out of Facebook, then using Facebook's tracking, right, is no longer applicable because they've opted out of Facebook, right? So there's two things that happen. One, because it's Facebook pixel, right? So Apple will then restrict the data that gets sent back to that pixel. So there's no personal data sent back and there's only one event that's sent back, but not even identifying who made that event. It's just that you can send the click ID. You can see that somebody hit this event, but it won't show you all the events that they trigger while they're on your site, which for e-commerce is critical, right? So with e-commerce, like it's all of our retargeting audiences really depend on, you know, did they view a page? Did they view a product? Did they add to cart? Did they initiate checkout? Did they purchase? Um, so all of these events are critical to understand to be able to build retargeting audiences with, um, as well as to use, use to create lookalike audiences with. And so not having that data became difficult. And so we thought, okay, well, how do we solve this? So Apple with their restrictions or with their policy updates, privacy policy updates, they just don't want you sending someone else's data without their permission. Um, and so they won't send it to any third parties. Um, if that person has opted out of that particular third party, right? If they've opted out of Google, uh, then Google doesn't get tracking. If they've opted out of Facebook, then Facebook doesn't get tracking. L digging deeper, I got thrown back into, you know, when we first started online advertising, right? So back in 2005, when we had our own servers, when we had our, our own teams of developers building on our websites and all of that, tracking was much more simple, right? So back then, tracking wasn't uh, script-based. Tracking was simply, the reason they call it a pixel is because it was actually a one pixel by one pixel transparent square image that you would put on your thank you page. Uh, and that that image was housed on one of our servers. And so anytime that image was called on or anytime that image was displayed on the site, which the user never saw it, it was a one by one pixel and it was transparent. Um, but uh, anytime we saw that it was deployed, we knew what website it was deployed on, what was the URL. We made sure that there were several URL parameters such as, uh, you know, their name, their phone number, you know, who the person was, who the affiliate was that drove traffic. So we knew who got paid what. I thought there has to be a better way to tracking, you know, so understanding that Facebook, or sorry, understanding that Apple doesn't want you using third-party tracking. So I thought, well, what if we just tracked it ourselves? And so after several different iterations of, of trying to come up with a solution, all of them backfired. None, none of them worked. Um, until we started to recognize first-party tracking. And so when we understood first-party tracking, so first-party tracking, the difference between first-party and third-party is that if you rely on somebody else to track for you and you use their script on your domain, then that's third-party, right? You're not tracking it, they are, and you just get access to reporting in their dashboard, right? So you believe it or not. Yeah, you and you believe it or not. Um, so but first-party tracking means that you track it on your domain yourself, right? So Apple does not interfere with first-party tracking, right? So first-party tracking, if Apple limited first-party tracking, then Shopify wouldn't work, right? Being able to capture user data when somebody's on your store, 
even within the Shopify dashboard when it works. But Apple doesn't interfere with third-party tracking. And so we then created a solution where we launched a server on our domain, right? We created a subdomain, a tra- call it our tracking gateway. Um, but we created a subdomain, pointed the DNS of that subdomain to our new server. And then we use that server to, to deploy all of our tracking. So a lot of the same events that Facebook track, um, such as uh, all of our e-commerce events, we just set, we set them up manually, right? So we knew when somebody was on our site, what site, what pages they were on, how long they're on that page for, how far down the page they scrolled, if they clicked on something, if they watched the video, if they did something on that page, if they went to the next step, right? We tracked all of this and we started passing this data back. And so there were some initial issues with passing the data back that we ended up resolving by passing custom action sources and custom event sources. We ended up getting all of our data back to Facebook. And so this happened. We solved this on July 21st. And we thought, geez, this is such an enormous problem. I didn't realize how big of a problem it was when I first started to solve this. Because frankly, I didn't know about attribution. At least it wasn't a a conversation that I had frequently. Um, And so I understood what attribution was, but I didn't understand anything, any depth of attribution at all. To have a conversation about it or to even try and create a solution for it proved difficult initially because I didn't know what it was. and But once I understood what it was, once I understood what exactly we had to do and how we had to track, I mean, she's, we just, we create a solution that most struggle with. And the data that goes back to Facebook is unfiltered, right? So uh, because the data doesn't, isn't being tracked on the domain, right? The, the data is being, initially it's being tracked on our subdomain or through our subdomain, all the scripts load through our subdomain. We track everything that gets sent over to our server and then our server does all the processing, right? So our server builds the events depending on whether it's Facebook or Google or TikTok. Um, and then our, our server then sends those, push that data back to Facebook or Google or TikTok or wherever, depending on what it is that you specifically want to have tracked. And so once we get the data back to Facebook, the first thing that happened is that I thought, okay, so I thought I solved it, right? So I thought, okay, great. This is fantastic. We solved the problem. But then in developing this, we realized that in order for our other tools that we've been building with OptimizeX to work, so so OptimizeX is more than just attribution. OptimizeX is end-to-end analytics, automation, and AI based on, on what your best performing and worst performing configuration, ad configurations are, as well as media and content, your copy, your landing pages. So understanding what works best and then being able to create iterations on those using GPT-3. So these are future developments that we'll continue to release throughout the year and next year. But uh, we realized that in order for any of these other tools to work, attribution has to work. So we pivoted from our our strategy of creating an OptimizeX for all of these solutions. And then we we said, look, let's just focus on attribution first. We hit them, put the pedal to the metal, I guess they say, uh, back in starting in August. And when I started this, I thought this would be, you know, two to three month project. It wouldn't be very difficult at all. You know, if I could solve this in a matter of a couple months, then we could develop it in a few months. At least that was my my outlook on it. This um, is so common, by the way, in the entrepreneur world. I think that we think that this will take only one week, one month, and then it becomes one year. <laughs> it or took, even it more. took forever. Yeah, it's just so common. Yeah. yeah. And so um, we thought that we'd have a, a beta back in November, and then that got pushed back into December, and then it got pushed into July, got pushed into January, and then from January, it's just you know week by week. It's kind of like building a house, right? When you build a house, framing the house, getting the structure up takes no time at all, right? But it's once you get the structure up, the thing that takes time is finishing the house, getting all the fine details the way you want it. And so it's your home. Um, So that's kind of how I feel with the development processes. Every week, I meet with our developers every day at uh, at 1130 at night, my time. So we have an hour, hour and a half meeting where we just go over the progress of that week's sprint, where we are with the development, anything that's coming up, anything that needs attention, any logic that needs clarified. But uh, every day we're like, get closer and closer. And every week we get an idea of, of when that time frame should be. So we, we're getting super close. And so today we'll have, hopefully by the end of today, we'll have a demoable product that it will, it'll be delivered to us today. So as long as there's no additional, there's nothing that's blatantly wrong or anything that uh, as long as everything works as intended, then we will open the beta up this weekend to potentially first part of next week, assuming everything's 
working. Or actually, let me repeat that. It's not assuming everything's working. Like we know that the, so right now tracking works, our dashboards work, our Shopify app works, um, all of the logic works, but now it's just the little details of like little bugs that show up. And so working those bugs out, as long as everything's working, then we will open the beta and then we'll begin to work out any additional bugs that present themselves because it's new technology. There's definitely going to be bugs. So we're looking at uh, keeping the beta open through the end of March. Every week we'll be adding 10 to 15 new merchants just to stretch the capacity. And then uh, we'll we'll do a full launch and our actual launch launch in April. Yeah, that's amazing news. You mentioned you are working with 18 developers and mm -hmm. uh, are they based in the US or why do you have the calls so late? Uh, so they're they're based all over the world. So we've got the bulk of them, 16 of them are based in Ukraine. Um, and wow. then we've got our leads are based out of Texas and California. I've got a, it's my, my time schedule has to accommodate all of them. So Ukraine is six hours behind us. The US is, uh, well, people in California are 15 hours behind us. Yeah, so... And so I've got to be available at all hours of the day. Yeah. We also started working with developers last year and uh, they are based in Pakistan and India. And uh, it's really interesting because we have 28 marketing people and uh, the management is just different. It's more technical. I've never done development or coding, but I still need to understand what they do, why it's important. Yeah. So yeah, it's really interesting. And if anyone wants to uh, try your software tool, then uh, they can reach out to you or what's the process now? Yeah. So just, uh, you know, like and follow me on Facebook. So it's just uh, Jim Moore Original. And uh, I, I keep posts on a regular basis, sometimes, you know, one to two posts a week just to keep everyone updated on the status where we're at with things. And uh, yeah, just comment on one of the posts that you want to get on the beta. Um, we'll get, uh, we'll reach out to you and get you on the beta list. There's a couple of questions, qualifying questions that we need to understand about your brand, like how many events you process, data that's readily accessible within your Facebook dashboard, as well as just some basic details about your business. And then we get you on the list. And so as we open the beta, we'll be taking on between 10 to 15 new merchants per week to stretch and make sure everything's working to so stretch this and, and uh, work out any bugs. Yeah, great. And you also post on Facebook regularly. This is how I found out about your uh, tool as well. And I know your jewelry brand is going really well. So Jim regularly posts on Facebook as well. And I would say you are quite popular on Facebook. So people comment below and, and they engage with your uh, update and posts. So uh, follow Jim on Facebook as well. And um, yeah, thank you, Jim. Yeah, was, no problem. Thank you for having me. It was really interesting and I wish you a great success with the tool because I can still see many e-commerce businesses struggle with attribution. And I think it's still an underrated topic because, you know, not, not many e-commerce business owners can have a deep conversation on this topic. They focus on their products, they focus on their uh, team, their marketing and attribution is just quite technical for many of them, I think. I guess the easiest way to describe this is that if you don't get your data back to Facebook or Google or wherever you buy traffic from, the problem is, let's say with Facebook, for example, your cold audiences require data, right? So your cold audiences, when you're when you're letting Facebook do the targeting, you're using saved audiences or broad targeting, you know, Facebook needs to see, it's like GPS, right? Like Facebook, like if, yeah. I, if I move to a new place and I say, hey, where's the nearest Walmart or whatever? I, if I don't know where it is, I've got to go look for it. Well, when you set up a new campaign on Facebook or when you're running your campaigns on Facebook, if you don't have data in your pixel, then, fa then Facebook has to guess who the right people are. So Facebook is able to understand who your audience is based on what events your audience uh, triggers throughout the customer journey, right? So the more events that you track, then the more accurately Facebook can predict who to show your ad to. So without that data, 
going back to Facebook and which is in some cases, if you're not using tools to, to set up your tracking right now, it's not uncommon to see 20 to 30% of your data making it back to Facebook where the other 70 to 80% of your data is not going back. And so the problem that creates is that your, your cold targeting doesn't work or it suffers, right? They only see more higher performance when you're spending a lot because the more you spend then the more data Facebook has. But if for smaller brands, that's difficult, right? So just to be paying for data. So cold targeting is the first thing uh, that uh, that is effective, no data or, or limited data. Your retargeting audiences where, you know, in some cases, you know, 40 to 60% of your profits come from or, or your performance come from, those get impacted. Because if like when somebody goes to your page and you want to send them an ad to say, hey, thanks for stopping by. How, how do you know who to show that to if you don't have the data to, to know who to show that to, right? Or when somebody's viewed a product, to send them a, an ad to say, hey, come back and you just saw this product. So let me send you an ad of this product to say, hey, come on back and see this product again. Let me give you a discount or let me give you whatever you use to bring them back or entice them to come back. So these become more difficult because your audiences aren't populated correctly. So if you're trying to set up retargeting, then you're not getting this the right audience set of who needs to see that ad. So then your retargeting suffers. And then if you're if you're a marketer that relies on lookalike audiences and you build out audiences to create those lookalikes with, well, then those lookalikes are, are they're inaccurate because you're only getting yeah. a, a, a small sample of that data set that uh, whereas if you only have 20 to 30 percent of your buyers or or any of the events that you're tracking, it's incomplete data if it's if it's limited, right? So if you have limited data, then when you create a lookalike audience without that limited data, then that audience isn't the right audience. It's not correct. And so the first thing that happens when you have data going back to your fake going back to your pixel correctly, going back to Facebook conversions API or offline conversions API correctly. When the data is there, the first thing that improves is your retargeting. So that's within a week or two weeks, your retargeting begins to perform. The next thing that improved for us anyway was uh, our lookalike audiences because we use the same retargeting audiences to create our lookalikes with. So that, that improved after about a month. The, the thing that took the longest for us was our cold targeting. And our cold targeting improved. It took about six weeks to almost two months. Um, for our cold targeting to work. But once the data is in Facebook and you have accurate data for Facebook to show who the right ad to the right person with, then your ads are, well, they run more predictably. And that's really at the at the core of what it is that OptimizeX does is it just ensures that your pixel is being fed correctly, that your the data is going back to Facebook correctly so that your your audiences can perform. Not that, I mean, the other, the other thing to really think about too is that if you have high-performing ads, then there's no reason to settle for cold results. This is what OptimizeX allows and will creates opportunity for. But uh, again, I would heavily invite people that if you're struggling with performance or if you're struggling with attribution to not think as Facebook as the end all be all right to not think of Facebook as the only place to get traffic from or the only way to manage customer acquisition I mean, really build a community you know engage with your audience understand their needs their wants their frustrations their struggles and produce products that speak to them right produce products that connect with that audience and then focus on customer experience how do you provide a superior customer experience and then really the data is great it's great great to get your data back to Facebook so that your ads perform predictably, but if things don't work, there's always a solution. You just got to dig down and find it. And this is what we've done to find solutions. Yeah. And uh, I think many people, they think about Facebook like an ATM machine. Uh, you know, there are all the data there and you just put in the right things and you just get the money out. And uh, this is why I really love your approach that you call people and you talk to them. So those are real people, not just numbers in Facebook. People shouldn't forget that. Yeah. Thanks again, Jim. Thanks everyone who listened to us today. Uh, reach out to him if you want to be a part of this and improve your attribution, your tracking, get better data and uh, just be better as a marketer as well. Thanks again. Cool. Stay tuned, Thank you. Everyone. Thank you so much. Have a great day.